0: We are really fortunate today to have Pastor Bob McKay with us. Um, we go back a ways. He's a youper. And uh, so he is, you're one of them grizzled veteran guys that have been out there on your own in the former Soviet Union, um, running Bible colleges and planting churches, and, and just a great blessing. So Pastor Bob, come on up here. Share with us about what God is doing around the world. Thank you, having me. Love you, man. Praise the Lord, it's good to be back. Any of you remember me? Well, that's good to know. Yeah, Pastor Anatole, I just talked to him this morning and he just sent a, a like a maybe a text message, maybe thirty minutes before we came to church, and he says he says, Great Pastor Mark, G R E A T. He meant greet Pastor Mark. But I told him it was a Freudian slip. Is that right? You love your pastor, don't you? Hey, you're doing a great job. That's so good to hear that you're gonna, the community, you're finally, because the good name is, is better than what? What does the Bible say? To have a good name is better than, better than gold. And even when I, here I am now, I'm in the country of Georgia and Armenia. I'm responsible for these countries, for the assemblies of God. And, uh, somebody asked me, what's the best thing the guy before you did, before you took over? I said, without a doubt, the best thing this guy did was he left us a good name with everybody. He kept all the crazy people away from us. And uh, because of it, we have the politicians, they come to our events, you know, the, and the, uh, the Orthodox Church, even people that hate us. They still will associate with us because they respect us, because we don't, uh, we don't look at them as the enemy. We only have one enemy it's not your spouse, it's not the other denomination, it's the devil. He's the only enemy we got. And we personally don't have any enemies. Because we're supposed to forgive those who wrong us, right? And so it's great to be with you. Pastor Anatol. you saw he has uh, eight kids and a wife. And uh, for many years, they've been living in a two-bedroom apartment. So uh, him and his wife, you know, they have it's a good thing they have four boys and four girls, because they can split them up, you know. It would be terrible if he had six girls and two boys or something, right? What would you do then? And they had been praying for years. I didn't know this. They had been praying for years, their kids, every day, for years, These little kids were praying, and I I had a house I sold because my brother was living there. He was handicapped, and he wanted to get out of there and go go out west. And I didn't want to sell it, but I sold it, and I realized a very large profit on it. And so I gave the whole profit away. I just immediately gave it to certain people who had needs. And Anatole told me his five-year-old got up on Sunday morning, Then he says, we've been praying for two years for a house that we can all go in, And he said, we're getting help from some people from Portview. You guys helped and other people. And so he said, the amount we had from everybody put together was exactly the amount the person wanted for this property and for our apartment building, exactly, almost to the dollar. So praise the Lord. So he's got friends. He's from Ukraine, where they all know how to build and construct. And uh, they said, we don't have any money. They're all poor. You've been to Moldova, second poorest country in Europe. You know, They don't make anything. And they said, our brother, we don't have anything to offer you financially, but 19 of his friends, male friends, pastors, they were all experts in construction, plumbing, electricians, roofers. They said, we will come and we will stay in the church for two weeks and we'll work in your house for two weeks for free. Imagine it. Isn't that something? So he was one of my students when I was in Ukraine, in Kiev, Ukraine, as a teacher and the the dean of our seminary there. And I had other faculty members. We all said the same thing. If there's one person who will do the best for the kingdom of God, it's Pastor Anatole Gonchar. We just saw in him a spiritual greatness. He wasn't the greatest student in the world, but he had the greatest heart in the world, which is much more important, isn't it? You know, and uh, that's what we're looking for. So here we are, Missions Month, a great month, where we're asking the question, what does God want from us, right? We're not necessarily asking about a money thing, but, and here I love the worship because the focus was... What do we do? And the older I get, the more simple I get. The more I believe missions is simply a matter of uh, hearing the voice of God and obeying him. That's it. You hear God's voice. Tomorrow morning you go to work and God says, go tell that person over there that I love them, and go talk to them, ask them how they're doing. And, and something will come up and it will give you an avenue to share and to pray with them. And that's pretty simple. All of us can do that, right? It's no, no big deal. We just have to obey the Lord and do what he says. And so it's been uh, marvelous being a missionary. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. I had a year and a half of uh, shoulder surgery and failures and infections, but the whole time I got to witness to people and share with people. And the last time I was in the hospital, a nurse came up to me in tears. I said, what's wrong? Are you hurting? She goes, no, you're the guy who's hurting, right? I said, no, I'm doing fine. I said, I don't have a shoulder and a humerus or whatever, but everything else is cool with my arm, you know. She says, yeah, but I'm... uh, she says, I'm a I'm a Pentecostal Christian, and I've been listening to your stories and stuff, and I've been praying for the last six months. And she says, I wanted to tell you, she says, when you talk to me, these I just get these goosebumps on my arm. And and God told me that it's time for me to quit and to go on the mission field. And she says, I'll use my nursing gifts, of course, but I want to do that stuff that you're talking about, you know, that stuff that gives me goosebumps. And uh, and I said, yeah, that's great, you know. So I got to pray with her that... Uh, the Lord will open the door for her. She wants to go to Latin America. And that was a University of Misery Hospital in Columbia. So, anybody know what today is, Sunday? Anybody know what, uh, on the church calendar, what this is called? It's called, not Easter Sunday, not Pentecost Sunday, but in the middle it's called Ascension Sunday. Remember Jesus ascended into heaven? How many of you remember that? <laughs> How many of you were there when it happened? No, you weren't. <laughs> We were there because Jesus knew us before we were born, so we were there when it happened. But in Acts chapter 1, see, this is why we love these apostles so much, because they didn't have a clue, you know. They didn't have a clue before or during or afterwards what was going on. They just knew that they needed Jesus and they needed the Holy Spirit in their life and they needed to obey God, right? Even then, like the new heavens and new earth, when people ask me what that's going to be like. I I don't know, I've never been there before. I'm sure it's going to be great, though, isn't it? And so the disciples were there, and it says in Acts chapter 1, it says uh, in verse uh, 4, On on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still didn't get it. But he said to them, It is not for you to know the times... Or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. That's the key. Not speaking in tongues. Not prophesying. You will be my witnesses. People will see Jesus in your life. Okay. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and hid from their sight. So here they are. Quite a thing. Now they got to go pray and wait for the Holy Spirit, whatever that means. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit, whatever that means. That's the exciting thing about the Christian life. Not knowing what's going to happen next, isn't it? How many of you like that? You know, I'm over 60 years old now, so you know they say when you get old, you like routines. You want to know what's going to happen every five or ten minutes. And if somebody upsets those routines, you get very upset. That's not true for any of you, is it? I think the greatest thing is when you serve the Lord and every day he does something and you say, man, that's the Lord. <laughs> Only he could do that. I would have never predicted that that would happen. Let me give you a couple of missions quotes just to whet your appetite. There's a man named St. Francis of Assisi. I mean, St. Francis Xavier. He was Catholic, by the way. I just thought i mentioned St. Francis Xavier. He says, give up your small ambitions and come with me to save the world. You like that One. He, led, he was the greatest Catholic missionary ever. In nine years before he died as a young man, he led over 700,000 people to Christ in India and Japan. Those aren't easy countries. He also said, if the world is not saved, I alone am the one to blame. He was kind of a driven guy, but I mean, here was a guy who wanted to share Jesus with people, and he did. So um, here's, a, here's another one. Robert Moffat, who was the father of David Livingstone. How many of you have ever heard of David Livingstone? the great missionary to Africa. Moffat was the first man to go into Central Africa. He was uh, with the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. And he went and he saw all these people who had never heard the name of Jesus, never heard the gospel. And this is our passion, to tell people, even in this area, that never needed Jesus, they never heard about Jesus, they never wanted Jesus, they don't need him. And we're going to tell them that they need Jesus. Because without Jesus, you don't have anything. Is that true? Without Jesus Christ, you don't have a thing. Moffat went back to Scotland. He wanted to paint a picture for the missions board and all the people of what he saw in Africa. And he said, I have seen at different times the smoke of a thousand villages, villages whose people are without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. Think, can you picture that? The smoke of a thousand villages. That's what he saw. See, this is what we're trying to do. It starts here. We want to see our family saved. We want to see our friends saved, our co workers, and, and the people we love. But it goes around the whole world, too. Uh, Here's what another famous man said CT Study said If Jesus Christ be God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Is there any sacrifice that we can make that's too big for God? You know, you think, hey, Bobby, you're a missionary. Mark, Susan, you were, you were missionaries. Hey, what greater sacrifice is there other than laying down your life? That's no sacrifice. <laughs> How can I call that a sacrifice when God has blessed me in so many ways that I can't count them? That's not a sacrifice. And I think, but what God does offer, he does give us the invitation to offer our lives up to him as a sacrifice so that he can use us. He doesn't want everybody to leave Port Washington today and go on the mission field. I don't think he does. Maybe some of you will. But there's a world for you to reach, a family for you to reach, a neighborhood for you to reach. And you're the one. You're the one that got us chosen to do it. Here's one of my favorite quotes from Hudson Taylor, if you know him, from the China Inland Mission. Because things aren't always easy, and in the mission field it's difficult, just like in life. He says, I have found that there are three stages in every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Secondly, it is difficult. Third, it is done. You like that? First, it is impossible. Then it's difficult. Then it's done. Here we talk about Anatole. Pastor Anatole, when you guys went there, there probably weren't even 100 people in the church, right? Maybe 100 people? And he went there and said, whoa, look at this big building. This must be And now just recently in the last few months, that church has just exploded. Nobody really knows why. Calvin the American there tells me it's because he's preaching Jesus more. And that's just Calvin though, he's a pretty simple guy. His theology is to preach Jesus and touch Jesus. That's all the theology he knows even though he's got all these degrees. But they had I saw it on Facebook, I looked at a Facebook picture this morning. They had over 800 youth in a youth meeting last night in that church that you guys were in. 800. The place was packed. They have he says he's got 50 people he's ready to baptize. They have 100 people Every Saturday night now, they just do a neighborhood Bible study to invite non-church people to come. How did it happen? It just happened overnight. God just opened the door and stuff started happening. You know that happens when you serve the Lord. We say when bad things happen, it rains, it pours. But you know that happens spiritually too. Sometimes you lead someone to Christ in your family, and all of a sudden, boom, 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 people start getting saved all the way down the line. And next thing you know, what everybody in the family is a Christian. Isn't that great? And this is what we are expecting. So... As we, I I want to ask you a question today as we talk about missions. I want to ask you, what road are you walking on? The path. We talked about the path. We all have a path to trod. Jesus had a path that he walked down. And what is the path that you're walking down? You know, when people ask me when I come here, they say, well, how is America different than all the places you go to where God is really moving? What's different about the American churches than The churches say in the Republic of Georgia, and I say simple, the gospel. I said we preach the gospel, and in America, for the most part, we don't. In America, for the most part, for the last 30 years, in most of our churches, we have created our own gospel. We have created a gospel that's self-serving, self-helping, inward, focused on ourselves and everything that we want. Give me this, give me that. It's not about reaching out, it's about God doing something for me. And so this is the gospel we have created, and very little of it resembles the gospel of Jesus Christ found in the New Testament. Do you agree or disagree with that? See, so we need to change. We need to be people who promote and preach and live the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are imitators of Christ. This is the first step in missions. You can give your money, you can do anything you want. You're uh, with The worship team here, they were singing about... Uh, you know, when we serve God, it's great. I have all these degrees. I have good theology, but people don't care about that. You know, what people are looking for, does this guy care about me? Is he going to do anything for me? Does he, you know, is he, is he, are these people going to touch my life? Are they, do they even know I exist? They don't care what your doctrine is or your holiness standard or any other stuff, what plaques you have on the wall, what kind of, you know, you've got a sign on your door. Nobody cares about that. But we want to look at the path that Jesus followed. It was a a path that led to Jerusalem. And, of course, we're walking on the road to Jerusalem, too, only it's the New Jerusalem. And so I want to just give you a few uh, points about the path Jesus was on. I used to have a GPS in my car. Fortunately, I don't have one anymore. You know, now you've got your cell phones. But my GPS would always send me the wrong place. How many of you knew that? I came up from Milwaukee yesterday. A friend gave me a ride. It's not very difficult to find Port Washington, is it? But I mean, I've been in some places where I've been with foreigners who couldn't speak English, and and they would. One guy I was with. He didn't speak a word of English, and I was going from I don't know what it was, Chicago to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and I end up up in uh, I don't know where I was, Watertown or somewhere. You know, I, God only knows. And he says, uh, and he says in perfect English, he says, "I don't see any signs for Lake Geneva," <laughs> and we all laughed. And I said, "Of course not, because we're nowhere near Lake Geneva." <laughs> But most people don't even know what road they're traveling on if you, if you go through life and you see how they live their life and the look on their face. So first of all, the, word, the road that Jesus walked on was a road of humility. He humbled himself and took on the form of man. Philippians 2, he walked the road of humility. Jesus was the, most, the greatest example of humility. You remember when humility used to be a virtue? Now it's not. Pride is a virtue. If I'm proud, that means, you know, I did it my way, Frank Sinatra. That's a great song, isn't it? I did it my way. I'm proud. I'm a proud man. I was saying even on the way to church this morning, since my shoulder injury, I've had to depend on people and help myself. And I don't like to do that. I'm a proud man. I I don't need anybody to help me. I come from the UP, you know, hey? You know those people up there, hey? They don't let anybody help them. But here I was preaching The, the Sunday before I got injured, I was preaching from the book of Deuteronomy, excuse me, and it was where Moses is telling the people, don't forget the Lord your God in Deuteronomy 8, the beginning of the chapter. He says, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years, to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart and whether you would keep his commands. That's a pretty humbling verse, isn't it? A pretty challenging verse. We need to be humble because what does it mean to be humble? Does it mean to make fun of yourself, to debase yourself? Some of you may have grown up in dysfunctional families like myself where putting yourself down was part of the deal, you know? And it was kind of a false sense of humility really is what it was. We don't need to debase ourselves, but when we say when we humble ourselves, what does that mean? It means that we realize that without the Lord, we can't do anything. Without Jesus Christ, we're lost and hopeless. Without the Holy Spirit in our life, we can't do anything worthwhile. Is that true? Do you believe that? So we need to humble ourselves. That's the first part. Jesus humbled himself. He depended on the Lord. And it says that in Philippians 2, how he humbled himself and took the form of a man. And so I meet so many of these people... ...on the mission field that have humbled themselves. Our very first student, his name was Vladimir Franchuk. I still carry his application letter. The very first student who applied to our seminary over 20 years ago. I have it here. This man, (coughs) excuse me, his parents and his grandparents, they all went to prison. He uh, He says, when I became a Christian, he says, I knew I had to confess the saving name of Jesus... But it doesn't mean just to carry the cross. It means sometimes we have to go through persecutions and deprivation. He says, my grandfather was condemned in Stalin times for 25 years. My father was sentenced for 15 years. And his first wife, even though they were only married two years, she died in prison in Siberia. And he says, my grandfather only survived by a miracle. He says, they were returned home and there was nothing there. My second grandfather was like the first put into prison for 25 years. And my mother, who was a simple village girl, was called an enemy of the people. And she was sentenced to 25 years in prison. He was raised by other people, taught himself how to read and write. He is now our greatest church historian in our part of the world. The man's a genius. He's a walking encyclopedia. If you met this guy, you wouldn't believe it. Ever meet anybody like that? Where they know everything? This is Vladimir Franchuk. He says, when I wanted to go to school, he said, I told him I was a Christian. They they were all close to me. He said, so I became a postal worker, a welder, a truck driver, and then I went to prison in Gorbachev's time. But now, he said, I'm a full-time pastor, and he's a missionary in Central Asia, one of our greatest missionaries. He went to go see the birthplace of his grandfather. He went there when they called the Day of Remembrance in Ukraine, where 7 to 10 million people were killed by Stalin in the, a famine of the 1930s. He said, we all got flowers. We took the bus there. And when we came to our, our, our village, all the, all the survivors, they said, where can we put the flowers? I said, we don't know. There's no cemetery here. All your ancestors, they were never buried. They all died in their homes. They starved to death. And they were just left in their homes for months and months after they died, and they just basically burned the village down. This is what these guys went through. And I thought, this is the first guy who's coming to our school. I'm going to be his teacher. <laughs> I'm going to tell him how to live for Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to teach him how to pray and how to be faithful to the Lord. <laughs> Sounds kind of ironic, doesn't it? That I would come here. And so Jesus walked this road of humility. Secondly, he walked a road of sacrifice. He laid down everything he could. I mean, he, he, laid, he gave up everything. He gave up his position in heaven, worshiped by the angels, by the heavenly beings. And he sacrificed And while he was in the garden, he says, what did he say? You remember? Not my will, but yours be done. Is that really how you feel? you want the Lord's will to be done in your life? Sometimes we do our own will and we ask God to bless it. But to really walk and live like that every day, say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And we need to walk the road of obedience. This is the big thing. See, I read this passage in Acts chapter 1. How many of you have experienced the Holy Spirit in your life? We always need to be spirit filled, but see, a lot of Pentecostals, a lot of Christians today think that they need to get they need to speak in tongues, they need a fresh anointing, they need this. No, we got all the anointing we need. We got all the Holy Spirit we need, right? But what did they pray for in Acts chapter four? They prayed for boldness. They said, Lord, give us boldness that we may share your word. Give us boldness that we may be your witness. That's what most of us are lacking today, why we don't share our faith. It's not because We're lacking the Holy Spirit or an anointing. We're just, we, then we hear the voice of God. We know the voice of God, but we're cowards. We're wimps. And we won't share the gospel. And the Lord, I mean, people are so easy to talk to if you befriend them, if you're not antagonistic. We need to be open to share with people. Even yesterday, when my friend picked me up by the airport, we stopped somewhere to eat and we started talking to this guy. He was a retired army guy. And, uh, you know, he grew up in a traditional church where they have the priests and the nuns. I'm not saying what church that is, but that was the church he grew up in. And uh, we could tell right away as we're going along sharing that this guy was going to play the religion card on us. So the Lord just told me, i just let it go, you know. This guy's not going to, you know, he's going to shortstop us. And so the Lord will tell us that too. It's not always going to be, you're going to lead somebody to the Lord, but the Lord will give you direction. He will lead you and guide you. And so we need to have this, uh, we have to be obedient. What I see, especially among the people over there, the Iranians now are coming to Georgia in leaps and bounds. We have these Iranians come, and, you know, they have this crazy idea. The Iranian Christians, which we don't know how many are, there may be three or 400,000 now in Iran, Iranian. It's an eight-hour drive for them to come to our city, and they come and they have their conferences because they have freedom, you know, because they can still die and go to jail in their country for their faith. And I said, what makes you different than us? I said, you all look like Moses that just came down off the mount. I said, I keep telling them, put a veil over your face, you know. I don't want to look at your face anymore. (laughs) And it's because the Holy Spirit is on them. And they said, well, Brother Bob, we have the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I said, yeah, well, I do too, but why? Tell me something else I need to know. They said, well, we're all taught in our country to share our faith every day. They said, we believe in what's called divine appointments. Have you heard this term before? They said every day, and this guy was giving us a seminar. Some of the God missionaries were there. And I said, hey, give us something we can hang our hat on. Tell us an example of how this works. He said, I'm 30 years old, and my wife is. We've been married six years. Every day of our marriage, we have shared Jesus with at least one person, whether it's been here in your country or in Armenia, where we'd have to travel through, or Iran. Every day, God sends us at least one person to pray with to share the gospel with. He said, we have prayed with hundreds of people who accept Christ in our country. <laughs> this is Iran we're talking about. He said, last time we came here to your country, we went home. It was 11 o'clock at night when I got home. And uh, I was so tired, the guy says, I just threw myself on the bed. I said, uh, And my wife started pestering me, you know. What are you doing laying there? Get up. We've got to go to the store. We've been gone for a week. What are you laying there for? We haven't had our divine appointment yet today. And he says, oh, just leave me alone. You go do the divine appointment. You go shopping. She goes, oh, no, I'm doing the shopping. You're doing the divine appointment, pal. That's your responsibility. So he said, we go to the store. I, he said, my wife goes in the store and there's like five guys standing outside the store. They're all normally dressed like Westerners. But one guy, he was in all white, you know, with a, he was an Islamicist. He had, he was an older guy, huge guy with a big gray beard. And he said, he's just looking at everybody like this. And he said, I said, Lord, who should I talk to? And the Lord said, go talk to the guy in the white. He says, of course, talk to the guy in the white. Oh, oh surprise me, Lord, come on. Yeah, don't talk to one of the normal guys, talk to him. So I walk up to him, he says, and I, I get close to him. I said, sir, I'm here to tell you the good news about Jesus Christ. He said, the guy's face turned beet red, dark red. He said, he came right up to me, about an inch from my face, He said, I thought he was going to punch me in the guts or stab me. And he started screaming in my face. And he said, well, where have you been? I've been standing out here all day waiting for you. He said, last night I had a dream. And an angel came to me and said that a man would come here in this exact spot. And he'd tell me about Jesus Christ. And I've been out here all day. What kind of a person are you anyway treating an old man like this? And he said, this kind of stuff happens all the time, you know. This is the way it is. I mean, you may not go to Walmart or Target or something, or whenever you go, <laughs> and this is going to happen here. But people are open, and God has, he has opened people's hearts for the gospel. So this is a normal occurrence in our seminary in, in Kiev, Ukraine. We accepted 17 students from Central Asia from Muslim backgrounds. All 17 of them came to Christ through visions and dreams, not one of them through a church, because there was no church. That's why we need to start churches. We need to have Bible colleges for training. And so I've got to quit because I'm already out of time, Pastor. And so, now one more story, if you want me to. Because I want to talk about a Moldovan, because some of you have been there. I met, there was a Moldovan man by the name of Nik, Nikolai Maldonavu. You can find him on Facebook. He was a man who went to prison for like 20-some years. He was in prison. They tortured him almost every day of his life in prison. He's, he passed away about five years ago. But I had the pleasure of meeting him and bringing people there. Anatole met him. I used to bring Americans there, and they'd all end up crying. And he'd say, what are you doing this for, Bob? Everybody you bring here, you bring them here so they could cry? I said, no, I bring them here because you're better than everybody else, and they need to meet people like you. He says, I'm not better than anybody else. I said, yes, you are. So he's, he spent 22 years in prison, and this guy, when they tortured him, God would give him music, would give him, would give him lyrics and the music for the songs well, he was in prison, but he couldn't, uh, he, he had no way to write this down. So when he came out of prison, when he was an old man, he sat down with some Pentecostal and, and uh, Baptist musicians for months. And this man, by the time, before he died, he had written over 6,000 songs and hymns. He said, they would torture my feet while I was there, and it was so painful. I'd pray to God, please help me not think about the pain. He said, that's when God would give me a song. And one of the people, I never thought about this before, he said, did you ever spend time with Richard Warnbrandt in prison? You know, one tortured for Christ, voice of the martyrs? He said, yeah, we were in the same prison for three years, but we only saw each other twice in those three years. And he said, once they brought us together to torture us both together for all day long. They were torturing me, and I prayed, Lord, help me. And while I was being tortured, God gave me another song. And after the guards left... Richard came up to me, Brother Richard, and he hugged me and was kissing me, and we're crying because we had 10 minutes to fellowship. And Nikolai says to Richard, he says, Brother Richard, God gave me a song while they were torturing me. And Richard Warnbridge says, Can you sing it for me? He goes, Yeah. And he sang this song, and it was a song about the new Jerusalem and how Jesus was standing there at the gates welcoming those who were faithful to Jesus. And they were crying and hugging and, and then Warren looked at him again. He says, Brother Nikolai, maybe the maybe the guards will torture us again tomorrow and the Lord will give you another song. <laughs> and I said, See, that's the way these guys think. They don't think like us. That kind of stuff isn't in our on our radar screen, is it? So I think the Lord has a has a plan for us. The plan is to become more like Jesus, to walk the road that he walked on, right? Humility, sacrifice, obedience, expectation, believe that God's gonna do something. And this is what he's chosen us to do. We have a family in a neighborhood, people we work with that need Jesus desperately. And who's going to share Jesus with them if we don't? It's not going to be anybody else. So God is going to help us, and he has. He's given us the Holy Spirit. But now we need to have the courage, and we need to hear God's voice, and we need to obey. I'll leave you with my favorite verse from the New Testament this year. How many of you have favorite verses every year? Anybody? John eleven forty. That was a pretty important chapter. Remember what happened in John 11? A guy named Lazarus came out of the tomb. That was pretty important. Jesus raised Lazarus. And what he said to them in John 11:40, 40, after it happened, he said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I believe that's a verse for some of you. You may have something in your life, some impossible situation. You may have... People that you think could never be saved in your family, you may have a, you may have lost your job or your home or some things are desperate or you don't know how you're gonna. How can I retire? I don't have anything. Jesus says, "Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God?" Can I pray for you? And then pastor will come up. So Lord, thank you so much that you saved us, that you sent that this promised Holy Spirit came. And filled us. And Lord, we still remain filled with the Holy Spirit. But Lord, we need, we need to be bold. We need to hear your voice and be bold. So Lord, help us to hear your voice more clearly. Help us to be bold into sharing our faith as, uh, as we consider missions and the Great Commission and being your witnesses. But first of all, Lord, make us more like you. Make us more like Jesus. Help us to walk the path that he walked so that we can be more like him so when people see us, they say, "There, there's a Christian, that that person's different than everybody else. So Lord, bless my dear brothers and sisters here in whatever situation it is they're in, Lord, help them and bring their families to you, Lord, bring them the faith and let them see great things this year, just like John 1140 says, that they will see great things because the glory of God will be revealed in their life and in their family. So, Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity. We thank you for this beautiful day, being here in your presence. Now, Lord, we ask that you direct us and lead us and guide us as to what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.